This is a branded podcast from Postscript Studios. Annette Clayton is the CEO of Schneider Electric North America. In the late 1990s, she was an executive at General Motors and Saturn. And Annette's team had an ambitious goal, develop the first mass-market electric vehicle called the EV1. It was an exciting time because the technology of an electric vehicle was obvious and it was there. The question was, is, is really, could you make money doing it? And were consumers ready And if the cars were available, would you start to see the infrastructure to actually charge those vehicles become available? Demand from early electric car enthusiasts was there, but as the wait list grew for the EV1, it became clear that the other two pieces, the ability to make money and the supporting charging infrastructure, were not. And the policy support needed to build out the market wasn't ready either. And I can remember early in my career going and talking to politicians about electrical vehicle infrastructure charging, and they wanted to talk about, you know, growing corn and ethanol. So it was a different time. After years of keeping production at only a few hundred vehicles, GM halted production and bought the cars back. It would be another decade before automakers started seriously exploring EVs again. I think it was a, certainly a lesson in economics and business economics, you know, how, because ultimately you have to be able to make money in these ventures. Just having the technology alone, you know, isn't enough. And how different does the moment today feel from 25 years ago? You know, it's funny that you asked that question because it feels great. I mean, it feels like... We were on the right track then, but we just couldn't get it over the line. And so it just feels wonderful to be still professionally active and working in this moment where, you know, the electrification of transportation is such an important thing to climate, to decarbonization, to sustainability. Um, And we're at this very important time where... Uh, the energy dilemma and the Internet of Things are are intersecting in such an important way. You can see it. You can see it in the number of EVs that are that are launching. I think 60 this year. It'll double next year uh, and be a significant part of what's on the highways here by 2030. Today, we are at an inflection point in vehicle electrification. The mass adoption phase is underway in many countries, including America. The U.S. government is putting billions of dollars behind EV charging and battery production. And nearly every automaker is releasing or developing an EV model. But the race to electrify cars and trucks is about so much more than transportation. For an executive like Annette Clayton, it's about developing an economy-wide electrification strategy with EVs as a catalyst. It's why Schneider is getting deeper into the EV market. In this episode, produced in collaboration with Schneider Electric, Annette sits down with Stephen Lacey to talk about where the market is headed for EVs, technology trends in electrifying homes and industry, and how to tie them all together for the benefit of the grid. You see the future as open, digital, electric. Describe what that future represents. Well, open because it drives more innovation. And I think that's, you know, in direct contrast to um, to Tesla's value proposition. It gives customers choice with interoperability of technologies. So, you know, we at Snyder always believe open is better because of the fact that it drives more innovation. 
And we also believe that a more electric and digital world is the key to sustainable and, and resilient future. You know, electricity is the, it's the most efficient form of energy. It's, it's three to five times more efficient than other sources. And so it, it makes it the best vector of decarbonization. And digital makes energy really smart. It, it makes the invisible visible and it lets you drive efficiency and eliminate energy waste. And the way to t- attack that is through electrification and digitization. I mean, put another way, I guess, digitization unlocks decarbonization. So electrification is now widely seen as one of the most important pillars of decarbonization. Where do you think the electrification of the economy is headed? One of the, one of the things that people probably don't realize is that Rewiring America says 42% of the emissions emanate from these decisions that are happening around the kitchen table. You know, how you fuel your cars, how you heat your home, and where this electricity comes from. And I think we've we've really shifted from talking about the supply side of this equation to the demand side of this equation, which is which is really important. It was one of the big shifts I saw when I was at the World Economic Forum this year is finally we're talking about the demand side in a more intelligent way. We really need to electrify 500,000 homes every month for the next 25 years. And that's what it's really going to take for us to for us to hit our objectives, not only around one and a half degrees, but really around uh, how we use energy um, in, the, in the country. So the transportation sector is now the leading contributor of greenhouse gases in America. We see uh, definitely a strong increase in electric vehicle sales, uh, but we're still at only roughly 5% of sales. Still, that seems to be an important trajectory for the growth of electric vehicle adoption in other countries. And so we are now at the cusp of mainstream adoption of electric vehicles. But that also means that we need to build out more EV charging infrastructure. We need to manage that EV charging infrastructure so that it is more intelligent at the edge of the grid and feeds into um, better demand management. How does all this come together for you? And where do you think the greatest potential in electrifying transportation is uh, so that it benefits the grid? You're making a really important point, which is this electrification of transportation. It's it's critical in this journey to a net zero future. And we've done a lot of research in this space, and we understand that fleets are moving faster. You know, electrical fleets are moving first, and and even the Inflation Reduction Act is going to accelerate that even more. It's complex, but it's also the impetus for companies, for joint venture companies that we've started like Alpha Structure and Green Structure. We saw a need to take the complexity out of it. And these these companies are energy as a service companies that are helping uh, leveraging microgrids to electrify fleets. You know, you can take advantage of a microgrid to lessen the load on the grid. In a case of Montgomery County, it's a municipality, and through our alpha structure joint venture, they installed a six and a half megawatt microgrid for their smart energy bus depot that's powering 70 buses. It's right outside of Washington, D.C. And this is the first microgrid to power electric electric buses in that region. And the project was delivered with no upfront cost to the county as an energy as a service contract. And it, you know, really helps them 
um, do a couple things. One is make sure that they have emergency evacuation during storms. So these buses are actually moving people from neighborhoods out of uh, out of storm uh, risk areas into um, places where they can be safe into into shelters, which by the way are also powered by microgrids. So it's a big part of Montgomery County's resiliency plan. It's a big part of their decarbonization plan, and it's one of the ways that they they take the pressure off the grid that in in many cases is under attack from you know weather events. So it's a it's a really good example. And then maybe maybe one more example just to to flip it a little bit, but still in the fleet um, spirit, is a company called Packar, and they Packar builds the Kenworth and Peterbilt, you know, big transportation trucks, and we're providing the electrical vehicle infrastructure, you know, the design and the and the microgrids for their super truck uh, three program. These are big, heavy. Uh, and medium duty trucks uh, that are moving things in the United States and Canada, and it's a it's a Department of Energy initiative to develop the state of you know zero emissions medium and heavy duty trucks. So you know maybe two examples of where fleets are moving to electric. So in moving from fleets to individuals, um, either like a, a building owner or an actual homeowner. How do you think about the rise of the prosumer? What is the role of the prosumer in this electrified digital future? You know, maybe we could talk about um, the key factors that are driving this prosumer market because it's pretty important. We have this increasing demand on, you know, on companies to provide technologies that enable sustainability. And we have consumers that are infusing sustainability into their daily lives we have consumers that are searching for resilient and reliable energy because of climate events and Texas freezes and those kinds of things. And then we have this increasing demand on an aging grid infrastructure that's that's trying to decarbonize from sources like coal. We also have this decreasing capital cost that we talked about earlier that's really for solar, for battery storage, for EV infrastructure – but I'd say it's primarily due to technology innovations and economies of scale. So this this cost point is really important point. And then we have these these tailwinds in this supportive regulatory environment from the IRA and the and the IIJA. Um, but fundamentally, the cost of utility power in the U.S. continues to increase, and we have these weather events and grid instability that forces us to really think about cleaner, cost-effective, resilient, and, and more secure energy. And I, I think the, the customers want more choice and they want more convenience with their energy. And it's one of the reasons that we've, we've created this Snyder um, Home Offer. And the, the Snyder Home Offer uh, includes a, a home battery, uh, a high-powered solar inverter, smart electrical panel, the electrical vehicle charger, and connected electrical sockets, all controlled by one app. And the, the reason this is important is because it allows the individual homeowner to bring together utility power, solar, backup battery, and EV charging, and make decisions about where to prioritize power during outages and to extend, you know, their backup power, avoid expensive, you know, electrical service upgrades when they purchase an EV, and it, it allows the homeowner to be more self-sufficient about their 
um, not only their environmental impact, but but their energy bill. And this is this I think this is really important uh, to consumers today. So in talking about Schneider Home, you're positioning this as the Android of home energy management instead of the iPhone. What do you mean by that? Uh, we mean Android because it's an open environment that's open for innovation. Uh, you, you know, the charger of your choice, the, the 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 solar provider of your choice, the the home energy center of your choice. So it's interoperable with with other things. But obviously, we make it easier to use together um, with the uh, Snyder Home Energy Center under you know one app that allows consumers to uh, make the choices about. What, what they want to do, during, especially during times of outage or during times of high energy or peak energy costs. Let's talk about the commercial industrial side. What does the CNI prosumer look like and where are the most valuable demand management opportunities in that space? Well, when you think about most commercial and industrial customers, they have, in many cases, because of their investors or because of their board or because of their own employees or customers, they all have usually decarbonization objectives. And so one of the things we do is sort of the first avenue of that is helping them drive efficiency. And I talked about it earlier, making the um, invisible visible. And oftentimes we can see 30% reduction in energy usage just through efficiency measures and digitization of energy usage and that is the the megawatt. So we like to think about in commercial industrial really taking advantage of the megawatt first. And then the more sources of renewable energy. And I talked about um, the microgrid opportunities, but we're doing a lot of microgrids with commercial and industrials because it allows them to not only have more sources of green energy that are digitized, decentralized, right, and decarbonized, it allows them to have resiliency for their operations. And this is this becomes very important in the value proposition for uh, microgrids. We also help customers procure more green energy. Our commercial and industrial customers want to make sure the energy they're buying is green. And then we help them with the orchestration and load management with things like what we just talked about, with things like the VPPs and, and auto grid. And then there are ways that, you know, if you're a commercial industrial and you're trying to electrify fleets, we can really help with, with load management, with, with EV chargers and how those will be used and accessed and, and build. Now, we're doing, a, we're doing work with Marriott where they're Marriott Bonvoy customers. Obviously, they, they want to be able to pull in the parking lot and, and charge free of charge, but maybe, you know, uh, somebody who's driving by, they may want to actually um, have a charging mechanism for them. So we're, we're, we're doing all that. And then lastly, I would say our commercial industrial customers are, are seeing that 70% often of their cost of goods sold is what they're buying. So it means, you know, they may have as much as 11 times more carbon in what they're buying than what their actual processes and what they're doing are. And so a lot of times they're asking us to help them decarbonize their supply chain. And we've done a big project with Walmart called uh, the Gigaton Project, where we're helping decarbonize their supply chain. So the Inflation Reduction Act is going to dramatically increase these investments in 
electrification, in renewable supply, in electric vehicles, in domestic green supply chains. Where are the biggest shifts that you think are going to happen that will interface with the grid? It's the it's the IIJA as well as the IRA because the I you know the IIJA is an infrastructure spend and of course that new infrastructure is all going to be more climate friendly than than it has in the past and for our company it creates tens of billions of of tailwinds so it has huge implications and it's it's unleashing the deployment of more efficient and resilient technologies. We've talked about some of it, microgrids, you know, smart energy tools for homes and for buildings, the EV charging infrastructure. Think about electrification of maritime ports. So, you know, ships aren't sitting in port pumping out um, fossil fuels. And then, you know, all these renewable energy product projects that have huge implications for the grid um, in terms of increased demand through electrification, but providing relief through clean generation and efficiency. You see a lot of now public and private sector working together, public-private partnerships um, that are completing vital infrastructure projects, like I've talked about at, uh, at the Smart Bus Depot. I mean, using alliances between public entities, private sector companies to meet the mandates and, frankly, take advantage of the, of the IRA funding. And I think this helps amplify taxpayer dollars. It helps enable rapid deployment of, of scale, really, at the, at the local level. So as a, a veteran executive in this space, I want to get your thoughts on where you think it's all headed, because we simultaneously have extraordinarily fast technology change, but in the energy space, adoption of those technologies is sort of slow and steady, and there are a myriad of reasons for that. But, you know, if, if you reflect on your, um, how things have shifted over, you know, your career over the last few decades, what does it tell you about the way change happens and accelerates in energy and transportation? The stars really have to align, and we we talked about it earlier, where the technology, the, the, the economics, um, and the uh, societal adoption have to be aligned. We're really at that point. And it's, it's been incredibly fulfilling for me to see EVs take center stage, start to capture so much market share. Um, and I think, fortunately, the world looks a lot different now, 25 years later, from, you know, the EV1. But I think one truth still remains that, that we have to focus on creating a better consumer experience. Because in the end, that's really what, what wins. And I, I think, thankfully now, most EV owners are really satisfied with their decision. You talk to EV owners, they're happy with their, with their products. But still, the charging infrastructure is creating range anxiety. And it, it could be the damper that controls demand here. Um, I think there was a recent J.D. Power study that said that that one out of every five uh, EV owners that visited a public charging station ended up not charging their vehicle. And I think that's 72% of those said it was because the station wasn't working. So really having uh, and fixing for the country the, the charging infrastructure is important. It's, it's what's going to unlock the, the EV's potential. So we really have to have a kind of a twofold focus not only building trust in the charge infrastructure, but maintaining it. And, you know, one of our companies, EV Connect, that is really, they're the software inside that EV charger that really help 
uh, understand the health of that charger, how it's being used, um, what it needs. This is going to be one of the most important catalysts for the the things that need to happen to build a more a more secure, more resilient, and certainly more electrified transportation going forward. Do you ever have moments of wonder or admiration at the speed of technology change? I do. I worked uh, in the technology industry, uh, in the computer industry, and I followed you know Moore's law a lot. And I somehow feel we're seeing some of that same. Uh, those same things really playing out in this industry now where the, the technology continues to improve and the costs continue to come down. And I think that's exactly the dynamics we need to, to carry us into the future. I believe we're, we're actually now beyond the knee of the curve. I think we're on the, on the up cycle here. And I'm, I'm pretty excited to be working in this space at, at this moment in time. Annette Clayton, CEO of Schneider Electric North America. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen. Really enjoyable. Schneider Electric has products in four out of 10 U.S. homes, as well as 70% of buildings, 33,000 wastewater facilities, and 50% of hospitals around the world. It's also the number one builder of microgrids globally, with over 300 successful projects in the U.S. Schneider has delivered $2.8 billion in savings for federal, state, and local entities through more than 800 public-private partnerships to digitize and decarbonize public infrastructure across the U.S. For more information on Schneider's efforts to electrify and digitize the economy, including the microgrid and resilience hubs that Nanette mentioned, go to se.com or follow the link in the show notes. <laughs> 